Last week, we began a look at when Christmas began. We'll continue that look today as we celebrate the birth of Christ this week. Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, is coming up next. Join us as we celebrate Christmas together. Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City and all of us at Graceful Truth, greetings in Christ and Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us today, just a couple of days away from celebrating Christ. And today we take a look at when Christmas really began, the manifestation of Christmas. We're in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 for today's broadcast as we get things underway. Join us. We're looking at God revealing himself to man. Here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast. Thirdly, manifestation. This verse also speaks of the manifestation. It says, we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Jesus Christ was a manifestation of the glory of God while He was here on earth. Uh, Through Jesus, God manifested divine glory during His earthly life. And it was done so in, in such a way that's never been done before. It was still veiled by his human flesh, and yet it was still there. Peter, James, and John saw a a physical manifestation of the glory of God through Jesus. at the transfiguration, Matthew 17. It says, his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. That was just a little tidbit, just a little preview of the unveiled glory to be seen at his return. In the fullness of his heavenly glory in the new Jerusalem. But the disciples here, they saw Jesus manifest God's holy nature by displaying divine attributes such as truth, wisdom, love, grace, knowledge, power, holiness, One writer says, we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son. See, even on earth we understand that when you see a father and a son, you say, hey, I like father, like son. We get that principle. But with Jesus, that principle has taken it to infinite perfection. Despite the claims of false teachers through the centuries, that, that word, they're only begotten, doesn't imply that Jesus was created by God and therefore he's not eternal. That's not what it's saying. The term doesn't refer to a person's origin. It describes him as unique. The only one of its kind. That's why Isaac could properly be called Abraham's only begotten even though he had other sons. Because Isaac alone was the son of the covenant. And so that word used of Christ says that, you know what? He's the unique son of God who comes to earth. He's different, set apart. Westcott 
writes this. He says, Christ is the one and only Son, the one to whom the little the title belongs in a sense completely unique and singular, as distinguished from that in which there are many children of God. See, Jesus' unique relationship to the Father is a major theme throughout the Gospel of John. Speaks of him as the exact image of his Father. That's why in John 14, 9, it says, if you've seen Christ, you've seen the Father. When John says we have seen him, he uses a word that means that we gaze intently upon. You know, it's not just a casual glance. That's not what he's talking about. It's a phrase that's used to, of when they take something in a laboratory and they study it. They look at it under the microscope. It's the word from which we get the English word theater. As Jesus walked on earth, people could see God's glory shining through him. The shepherds saw it, so did the angels. So did the, the doctors of the law who were interviewing him even when he was 12 years old in the temple, the synagogue. The glory was seen in a major way at the transfiguration. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him all the fullness of dwell, deity dwells in bodily form. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Colossians 2.9. Even when Jesus turned the, the water into wine at Cana of Galilee, John says in John 2.11, He thus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. See, he wasn't invisible. He wasn't obscure. When you look at, at Jesus, you see the face of God. Martin Luther put it this way. He whom the world could not enwrap, yonder lies in Mary's lap. He has become an infant small who by his might upholdeth all. Christ came down to manifest the glory of God before us. And the last thing I see here in John 1.14 is basically invitation. <laughs> An invitation. That one verse really ends with the idea that Jesus came to earth and it says that he came full of grace and truth. One translation says this, that he was generous inside and out, true from start to finish. In our world today, when you see grace or you see truth, not very often do they appear together. As humans, I think we, we have a problem with having those two words side by side. Um, because if we stress grace, then a lot of times we're too quick to forgive without demanding any kind of repentance or remorse over sin. But if we stress truth, then a lot of times we're accused of being harsh or unforgiving. But you know what? The, the reality is we need both, don't we? We need grace and truth. And those two words explain why Jesus came to earth. They go really to the very heart of the gospel message. 
Those two attributes are closely connected with salvation are simply grace and truth. Scripture teaches us that salvation is holy by believing God's truth. The truth of the gospel. And you receive that truth by his saving grace. In Acts chapter 15 verse 11, the Jerusalem council said this, but we believe that we, Jewish believers, as we were talking about, are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus in the same way the Gentiles are. In Acts chapter 18, verse 27, Apollo said, greatly help those who had believed through grace. Acts 20, 24, Paul describes the message he preached as the gospel of the grace of God. In Romans 3, 24, he wrote that believers are justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And even in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of what? His grace. And in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we know that those verses, for by grace you have been saved through faith, it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not the result of works, lest anyone should boast. Even in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, he reminded Timothy that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. We just finished Titus Study through Titus, Titus 2.11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That's going to result, beloved, in all believers, all those who are believing in Christ, to be justified, Titus 3.7, by his grace, that we would be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, there's no salvation. Grace, except to those who believe the truth of the gospel. They have to go together. You don't get saved by grace if you're refusing to believe the truth of the gospel. Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, that's what he says, the gospel of your salvation Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's the message of truth. Truth matters. Colossians 1.5 defines the gospel as the word of truth. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul is thanking them. He says, for God has chosen from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith in the truth. People are saved when they come to a knowledge of the truth. On the negative side, 2 Thessalonians 2.10 says, Those who perish will do so because they did not receive the love of the truth as to be saved. 2 Thessalonians 2.12 says, everyone will, be, everyone will be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. See, Jesus Christ is the full expression of God's grace. 
All the necessary truth to save is available in him. And he was the full expression of God's truth. Up to that point, it was only partially revealed through the Old Testament. You had foreshadowing of Christ through prophecies, through different types, pictures. And that all came to fruition when Christ took on that form of a human baby, a human being, a baby born in Bethlehem. That's why Christ could say in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. See, a vague belief in God apart from the truth about Christ will not result in salvation. That's just the way it is. I hear a lot of people, well, I believe in God. Well, that's okay, that's, that's fine. <laughs> I'm glad you're, <laughs> you don't just throw them out. Totally, you're not an atheist. But you know what? Just believing in God doesn't get you salvation. You have to believe in God and what he says about himself and about his son. Jesus even said in John 8, 24, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. See, those who they think they are worshiping God, but really are ignorant of or even they reject the fullness of the New Testament teaching about Christ, they're deceived. John 5, 23 says, He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. 1 John 2, 23, Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. The unfortunate thing is those who reject God's full revelation of himself through Jesus Christ will be eternally lost. They will spend all eternity in a place called hell. Very real place. Very real torment, judgment under the mighty hand of God. But because he was full of grace, the good news is he died for you and me. Scripture says while we were still Yet sinners. In other words, God doesn't say, you know what, I'll save you, but man, you're a mess. You've got to clean yourself up. Doesn't do that. Because he was full of truth, he was able to pay for our sins completely. He was perfect. He was sinless in every way. He forgives the sinner because he himself, the Bible says, bore that sin on the tree. You know what, this is good news for people like us because... He is graceful. You, you can come just as you are to God. He's easy to approach. You don't have to clean yourself up first. I mean, we all have a past. We all have some dirt here, there in our lives. And that's precisely the point that the gospel message becomes so relevant because we, we're all in this boat together. And it's, it's wonderful to be able to say no matter how dark or checkered your past may be, no matter how many sins you've committed, the Lord Jesus Christ stands before you and he invites you to come to him just as you are. With no preconditions, except a sincere, sincere heartfelt desire to be forgiven. When you do, the Bible says that you will be abundantly pardoned. Because he is 
graceful. He is truthful. You can come in complete confidence that he will keep his promises. When he promises, beloved, a complete pardon for your sin, he means it. Ask yourself this question. Do you need a trustworthy Savior? Fear not. He's the one. Jesus is full of truth. Do you need a forgiving Lord? The Bible says that we're to come to him because he is full of grace. Harry Ironside used to tell a story of Tsar Nicholas I of Russia. And it seems that the Tsar had this good friend who asked him to provide a job for his son who was unemployed. And the Tsar did just that, appointing his friend's son as paymaster for a barracks in the Russian army. Unfortunately, it turned out that the son was pretty weak morally, (laughs) and pretty soon he gambled away nearly all the money that was entrusted to him as paymaster of this barracks. And then the day came when word came to the son that the auditors were coming. They wanted to examine his records. And the poor young man was in despair, as you can imagine, knowing that he was going to be found out. The story says that he calculated the amount he owed and the total came up to this huge debt, huge amount, far greater than he could ever repay. He determined the night before the auditors arrived, he would take his gun and he would commit suicide at midnight. Before going to bed, he wrote a full-page confession, listing all that he had stolen. Writing underneath, in these words, he wrote, A great debt. Who can pay? Weary from all his exertions, he actually fell asleep. Well, later that night, the Tsar himself paid a surprise visit to the barracks, as was his occasional custom. And seeing a light on, he peered into the room, and he found the young man asleep. And looking under his arms, he found the letter of confession. He read the letter, and he realized what had happened. He paused for a moment, considering what punishment to impose. And then he bent over, and he wrote one word on the paper, and he left. Well, eventually, the poor young man woke up, realizing something had gone on, and he fell asleep past midnight. And taking his gun, he prepared to kill himself. And then all of a sudden, he noticed that someone had written something on the ledger. Under his words, a great debt, who can pay? The czar wrote one word. That word was Nicholas. He was dumbfounded, and then he was terrified when he realized that someone knew what he had done. Checking his records, he found the signature was genuine. Finally, the thought settled in his mind that the czar knew the whole story and the czar was willing to pay the debt himself. Well, resting on the words of his commander-in-chief, he fell asleep. And in the morning, a messenger came from the palace with the exact amount that the young man owed. Only the czar could pay and the czar did pay. I want you to know this morning, only Jesus could pay our debt for our sin to God. That and that alone explains why the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He pitched his tent here for 33 years. Why? So that he could pay in his own blood a debt that we could never pay for our sin. And we stand here this morning precisely where that young man stood. When we look at our sins and realize our hopeless condition, we say a debt, great debt, who can pay? The Lord Jesus Christ steps forward and he signs his name to our ledger and he says, not one word, but to Jesus Christ, 
Only Jesus could pay, and he does. That's why he came. That's the real meaning of Christmas. I know in a week or so, you're going to have probably family gathering together to open your gifts. Well, God has a Christmas gift for you. And that Christmas gift is wrapped not in bright paper with fancy bows and ribbons, but it's wrapped in swaddling clothes, and it's lying in a manger. It is the gift of his son. It is for you. The gift is still there, but it has to be personally received. I just want to tell you, you can never really enjoy Christmas until you can look in the Father's face and tell him that you have received his Christmas gift. I want to ask you this morning, have you done that? Philip Brooks in his carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, has a stanza that says this, How silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can gather here this morning knowing that you have clearly paid the price for our sin. And Father, that that gift is available to all who would come to you, turn from their sin, lay that burden at your feet, and commit their lives to Christ. Your forgiveness is a free gift. It's free to all who desire it. And yet, Lord, it's something that is done supernaturally. Somehow you work our volition in with your plan. So, Lord, I pray that you would give those the desire to come to you, to claim that forgiveness that's freely available, that they could sense the transforming power of Christmas presence among us, of Christ becoming fully human, yet being fully God, paying the price for a debt that we could never pay. Pray that as believers we could relate that message to others around us this time of year. People are out shopping and hustle and bustle is going on, Lord, that somehow that we would inject the reason for this time of year, inject the light of the gospel into a dark and dying world. Father, we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650 366 9923. 
One other invitation we would like to extend to you is the opportunity to partner with us financially. As you probably know by now through most of the other programming here on KFAX, each of these broadcasts are brought to you as a direct result of involvement from listeners such as yourself, both financially and prayerfully. As you consider year-end giving, would you consider Graceful Truth in the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City? It would mean a great deal to us to hear from you at this time. You can write to us at Graceful Truth, 2225 Euclid Avenue, Redwood City, California. The zip code is 94061. You can also contact us by phone, 650-366-9923. You can learn more about Graceful Truth online at gracefultruth.org and, coming soon, the ability to contribute securely online at our website, again, gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. And again, we're able to come to you each and every week here on KFAX as you partner with us financially, saying that the broadcast is of value to you and that you would like to help continue spreading God's Word through the ministry of Graceful Truth each and every Sunday here on KFAX. And again, as you consider year-end giving, it would mean a great deal to us at this time to hear from you. So would you take a moment and get a hold of us? Again, you can contact us with your donation at 650-366-9923 or write to us and address your envelope to 2225 Euclid Avenue, Redwood City, California. The zip code is 94061. And again, all of that information can again be found at our website, gracefultruth.org. We do thank you for joining us and look forward to hearing from you. It would mean a great deal to us at this time of year. Until next week at this same time, God bless.